Well, good evening. As Lawrence mentioned, uh, we are the beginning of a series about Jesus. The first half of the series is um, looks at various passages throughout the Gospels, looking at different encounters that Jesus had with a wide variety of people. The first eight talks are on why we should trust in Jesus. The second series of eight talks uh, later this spring are why don't we trust in Jesus? What are the reasons that people do not trust in Jesus? So we are continuing that. And uh, the first two messages, the first one was the miracle at Cana when Jesus turned the water into wine. And that's we call that Jesus invites us to, to his wedding celebration. And then the second one last week, as Deirdre looked at the a story of Jesus, and he met the woman at the well, how Jesus fulfills and completes us. So tonight it's Jesus heals. Jesus heals us. We need to trust in Jesus because Jesus heals us. So this, uh, this story tonight is really uh, two stories, one of them embedded in another. And it begins with this man Jairus, uh, who is a synagogue ruler, um, and he has a daughter, a 12-year-old daughter, that is dying. Now, there's a crowd of people following Jesus, and so when, when Jairus comes upon Jesus, there's a whole crowd around him. And so this whole crowd, you know, because Jairus comes and, and prostrates himself before Jesus, he falls on his face and says, Jesus, come and heal my daughter, she is dying. So this whole crowd starts moving towards Jairus' house so Jesus can heal his daughter. Well, on the way, the crowd is pressing into to Jesus and this woman, this woman who had been suffering, uh, bleeding, she had a, a, a discharge for, for 12 years, grabs the edge of his cloak. Now, I want to read a passage out of Leviticus. Leviticus holds the, the code that God gave to Israel through the man Moses. And so there were a lot of laws that Israel had about um, being clean, and so there were a number of conditions that would make somebody unclean, and this is one of them. And I wanted to read the law because I, I want you to feel the weight and the heaviness of what this woman um, would have been feeling and experiencing with the law against her. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity." And whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. And so not only is this, 
disease or this condition that this woman had, not only was it a physically physically debilitating condition, but it was also a, a, a socially debilitating condition. She essentially couldn't be around people for fear of making them unclean, and people would be fearful of being around her for becoming unclean. Anything she sat on or laid on couldn't be touched without becoming unclean. So it was socially debilitating. It was religiously debilitating because there, she couldn't participate in any of the formal religious ceremonies of the nation of Israel. And so this would have also created you know, psychological and emotional pain and suffering as well because uh, people would essentially be staying away from her. And she had to distance herself from others. So almost every aspect of community and religious and social life was really um, prohibited from her being able to participate in. And so not only is this, is this discharge of blood for 12 years, so this has been a long-term experience, great deal of suffering. Not only is she suffering in all of these ways because of this discharge, she has spent every dime that she had on physicians to heal her, to no avail. And so that's where this, this woman is at. And so you have this story of this woman sandwiched between the story of, of in, in the, sandwiched in the story of Jairus. <laughs> so within Israel, you probably couldn't find two more different people. So there's the, the confident synagogue leader Jairus. Okay, so he would have been at the center of community life. He probably would have been pretty well off. He would have, everybody would have known him and everybody would have wanted him uh, to be a, a part of their lives and to visit them and experience hospitality in their homes. Um, he would have been at the center of, of life. And he obviously, as a synagogue ruler, wouldn't have been prohibited from any of the activities that went on in the nation of Israel from a religious standpoint. And then you had this, this woman. So you have these two different people, really different people, that this story is focusing on. You have this diseased and hidden woman. The text says that she was hidden. She's an outcast, she's alone, she's a poor, and she's poor. And then you have Jairus, who's the opposite. But they both shared, they both shared something. They both shared a need for Jesus Christ at this time. And so I want to look at the, at the woman here again for a little bit of a moment. So she's in this tragic medical condition. Again, it's 12 years experiencing this. And she's experiencing shame and humiliation that comes with it. And so in this shame and in this humilia humiliation, she was hiding. She was hiding. Where, where Jairus and the others that had been healed, so you know, up to the, up in the Gospels just tell a lot of stories of people that, that pursued Jesus and, ex, and exposed their need and called out his name in very public ways. But here's this woman, because of her shame and humiliation, because of being an outcast, because of being poor, she didn't want to expose herself in the ways that other men and women had exposed themselves to try to get Jesus to help her. But ultimately, 
the humiliation, the shame, the fear associated with that, it didn't ultimately prevent her from reaching out. She wasn't like Jairus, but she still wanted to hide. But she had enough faith, a little bit of faith, that if she, she believed that if she could just touch Jesus' cloak. Now, up until this time in the Gospels, nobody had just touched Jesus' cloak for healing. But there are stories in the Old Testament where, where people would touch the cloaks of the prophets and they would be healed. And so she thought that if, if she could just touch Jesus' clothes, maybe that would be enough. She wouldn't have to expose herself. She wouldn't have to reveal herself to Jesus. She wouldn't have to reveal herself to this massive crowd of people. But the woman ends up getting more than she hoped for. So she touched Jesus' clothes, and she was immediately healed. But there was more to heal than just the bleeding. She had these psychological and emotional effects that had been increasingly growing for 12 years. She was um, prohibited from community and religious life. And so these are things that, that also needed to be healed, that she hadn't, that she hadn't necessarily... Th- wouldn't say that, the text doesn't say that she hadn't thought about them. She just wanted to be healed from that physical problem. But there was more that needed healing, and Jesus would have to heal these as well. But to to heal these, exposure was needed. She had to be exposed. So when Jesus felt, he said he felt power go out from him. When he felt this power go out from him, he knew somebody had touched him, so he stopped. Now you can imagine, so if you're, if you're Jairus and your daughter is dying and you are, you are hurrying to get Jesus to your house. So, you know, imagine yourself in Jairus's place. You are rushing, and we have, we've all been in situations where, you know, maybe not life or death, but something is really important and we are rushing like crazy. So imagine Jairus, we are rushing and all of a sudden Jesus stops. And Peter seems to also be in a rush as well. Maybe he's feeling the the pressure and and the need to get to Jairus' house as soon as possible. And and Peter's surprised at Jesus' question because he's saying, who touched me? And Peter's like, everybody's touching you, Jesus. We're in a big crowd of people and they're pressing in on you. So a lot of people were touching Jesus, but only one person touched Jesus with any faith. That, that needed him for something, and that was believing that exposure to him would bring about healing. So Jesus stops, and he responds to that faith. Now, here you have Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, one of the most important people in the community, and the crowd is around. Everybody is trying to get to his house to heal his daughter. But here's this woman who is an outcast. But Jesus stops. Jesus stops for her. At that point, she was the most important thing in Jesus' eyes. Jesus brings her out of the hiding. Because he stops and says, "Who, who touched me? Now, we have plenty of stories in the Gospels to know that Jesus probably knew who touched him. 
He could tell what the Pharisees were thinking. He could tell what were on, was on people's minds. He knew from like last week, the story of the woman at the well. Jesus knew that this woman had five husbands. So Jesus knows who touched him. Jesus knows who touched him. The woman knew that she, and this, the text literally says, she knew that she was not hidden anymore. She is now, she is now the focus. So you've got to be thinking, what, what is going through her mind? I've made Jesus unclean. Because she did. She touched him. She made Jesus unclean. Uh, I've delayed, getting, I've delayed Jesus getting to Jairus' house. And Jairus, he's the leader of the synagogue. He's a really important person. And I've delayed him in this most urgent of needs. What is he going to think of me? What are all these people going to think of me? Will Jesus be able to go and still help the girl because he's unclean now? Are they going to humiliate and ridicule me because I reached out and touched Jesus' clothes? Are they going to ridicule me for daring to, to, to touch Jesus and, and interrupt what he was doing with the, the leader of the synagogue? I think we've all probably been in places before where we knew <laughs> the last thing we wanted was anybody to find out the bad stuff in our lives. We've all been there. Jennifer Jacquette of New York University, she wrote a book called Is Shame Necessary? She says that exposure is the essence of shaming. It's a distinct quality of shaming, being exposed, having all of your bad stuff coming to the light. But exposure is also the path to healing. We can think of places in, in the New Testament where it, it says to expose the sin. There are psychological treatments called exposure therapy to address challenges that people are, are facing that they're afraid of, thinking that long-term and repeated exposure will overcome the fear. So exposure is indeed the a, a singular characteristic of shaming, of, of having your, your bad stuff exposed and opening up and becoming vulnerable to people ridiculing you, shaming you, downgrading you. But it's also the path to healing. So Jesus exposes her. Jesus knows that she needs to tell her story. And that's what she does. It says she falls down at his feet. So Jairus had fallen down at Jesus' feet. This woman who was hiding now comes. She's fully exposed. She falls down before Jesus' feet. And she tells her whole story. Here's where I was at. Here's what my need was. I believed that Jesus could touch me. I didn't want to expose myself, so I just touched his garment, believing I would be healed, and now here's where I am. And then Jesus says this, Daughter, your faith has made you well. So Jairus' daughter was dying. The synagogue leader's Daughter was dying, a very important person, a very important young girl. But what Jesus did when he said that daughter, he was saying, you are my daughter. You are important to me. You are just as important as Jairus and his daughter. Jesus loved this woman as his daughter, for she was. 
Jesus had created her. And only now, after she had been exposed, can she actually go in peace. That's what Jesus said. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She would not have been able to go in peace unless Jesus had stopped. Unless Jesus had stopped. Jesus pulled her out of hiding in the darkness of, of, of shame and guilt and fear. And he brought her into the light of his own self. And he brought her into peace. Now, we didn't, we didn't read the text up here this morning, or excuse me, this, this evening. Uh, but the story continues. Jairus goes um, to the house of, excuse me, Jesus goes to Jairus' house. The daughter has already died. A messenger came when Jesus was talking to the woman who had the hemorrhage. And the messenger said, don't bother the teacher any longer. Don't bother the master any longer. The, the daughter has died. And Jesus says, she will be well. Just have faith. So they go to the house, and Jesus arrives at the house, and everybody knows she's dead. And Jesus says, no, she's just sleeping. She'll be well. They all laugh at him, and he takes the parents and Peter and James and John into the house and once again touches an unclean person. To touch a dead body in the nation of Israel under the Mosaic law would have also made you unclean. So we have these two instances where Jesus enters into the uncleanness of people's lives in order to make them clean, in order to heal them. And this time, it's the parents' faith, not the girls, it's the parents' faith that heals the girl. And so we have, again, we have these two stories, two, two very different people. And so what's the point? What, what, is, what is the gospel? And, and three of the gospel accounts have this story. They're almost identical. So what is the point? The first point, I think, is that whatever your socioeconomic status may be, you may be a super religious, wealthy, center of life, involved in the community, leading the community, probably well off. You could be like that. Or you could be like this woman who is poor. She's an outcast. She has nothing. Wherever you are in that continuum, eventually, eventually, your uncleanness will emerge. Your, your needs will emerge bringing you to the point to where you're desperate for help. Now, at that point, guilt, if it's something that you have done to bring shame upon yourself when your uncleanness is exposed, guilt or the shame associated with guilt, the feeling bad and being fearful of what others are going to think about you, because of what you've done, so that's shame. And then the humiliation is when people take advantage of your vulnerable state and make fun of you and disdain you and hold you into contempt and judge you. And all of the fear associated with that could overwhelm you and you could hide. That's what we can do. When we become aware of, of uncleanness, and I'm just using that phrase in a big way to refer to anything that pops up in our lives, that is destroying us and exposes our need. 
once we become aware of that, we need to be cautious that the guilt and the shame and the humiliation and the fear doesn't overwhelm us to push us into a dark place. The second thing is that even with the smallest amount of faith, even with the smallest amount of faith, in your moment of recognizing your uncleanness, Jesus will come to you. Jesus will come to you. We can be also like the crowds that never experience his power, that go along with things, but never approach him in faith. So, just reading a little bit so that we could kind of, you know, again, I know that all of us in here, because we're all somewhere on that continuum of the outcast, impoverished woman, or, on, or like Jairus. All of us have had experiences of guilt and shame and humiliation and the fear associated with those things. So I did some reading on it just to kind of broaden us and deepen us in these things. And I ran across an, an essay by Vivian Gornick and Harper's, and she asked the question, why does shame and humiliation hurt so much and twist us out of shape? And she asked this, this follow-up question. She says, at the core, we have a desire to think well of ourselves. Why is it not enough to be fed, clothed, and sheltered, given freedom of speech and movement? Why do we also have to think well of ourselves? And she goes on, and this is an extended quote. She says, you know, psychoanalysis explains that from the moment we are born, we crave recognition. We open our eyes and we want a response. We need to be warm and dry, yes, soothed and caressed, but even more, we need to be looked upon with interest and affection as though we are a thing of value. Routinely, we get only some small amount of what we need. And sometimes we don't get it at all. The emotional conviction that we are not worthy sets in. From this condition, none of us ever wholly recovers. Mainly, our feelings go underground and we struggle on, in general, doing to others no more harm that was done to us. Some of us, however, are so damaged we obsess over being made to not think well of ourselves, and we become dangerously antisocial. The effort to overcome this primitive state of affairs is what preoccupies analysis, but all too often the endeavor drags on and on and on while our demons refuse to relent. Then therapy begins to feel like a romantic hope of salvation destined to fail. So her conclusion is not that optimistic. A romantic hope of salvation destined to fail. So if you think about this woman and what Jesus did, this woman, she was suffering immensely from the physical condition, but she needed more than just the physical healing. 
She needed her sense of self restored, that she was valued, that she was loved, that someone was interested in her and loved and cared for her. She needed someone to look upon her with with interest and affection. So what would have happened had Jesus just kept walking? None of these emotional and psychological needs would have been met. She would have been healed of her physical problem. But none of these deeper things, which I think that if we would think about it, those are probably the more important and necessary things. It was her faith that healed her, but it was Jesus stopping. So her faith in Jesus, she touched his cloak, she was healed. She was healed. But Jesus stopped. And in Jesus' stopping, that's when the real healing began. She was worth his and the crowd's time. He cared for her. He was willing to enter into her uncleanness. He wanted to restore her dignity. He wanted to restore her place in the community. He wanted to pull her out of poverty. And so Jesus, we see him recognizing where she's at in stopping. And it changed her life. It changed her life. Yeah, she was healed. But just like the the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine, the actual healing itself, you read it and you say, wow, that's amazing. But it's when you begin to look at what the the miracle is pointing to or what the miracle is is stopping us in our reading and, and showing us what else Jesus is doing. Where we really see uh, the, the intent of the, of the text and to really see Jesus' heart for people. The second thing is, is this faith. And so I think you know, it's just a little bit of faith that this woman had. Jairus, I think, had a lot of faith. I mean, he came, he throws himself down. Jesus, you've got to heal my daughter. He's not worried about exposing anything. He has a need. He goes to Jesus aggressively. The woman has just a little bit of faith. So what is faith? I think if we just look at the text, I think it has to involve some recognition and acknowledgement of of need and vulnerability and some degree of willingness and humility to expose what that need is. So we need something and we're willing to be humble and expose what that is to at least a little bit because we recognize that our efforts, all of our efforts, all of our money, all of whatever we've got in terms of resources have not worked. And so I think the third point is, is that there's maybe just, you know, Jesus said, if you have faith of a mustard seed, just a tiny little bit, a tiny bit of belief that Jesus can actually do what he said he can do. Jesus can actually help. Jesus can actually meet these needs. So faith is not, in that, is not blind in that way. There's a, there, these people had stories and testimony and probably he had even observed Jesus perform some miracles so they you know faith is not blind faith has some evidence and that's really what these stories are about there are are people who experienced and witnessed Jesus's life and wrote these things down we have four versions of it 
to show you that all kinds of people were testifying to these things, and the stories are consistent. And so faith requires us to, yeah, there's, we, we, we have a need. We're willing to expose what that need is. But there's some belief in the evidence that the, that the Bible says that Jesus can meet those needs. And it's ultimately backed up by Jesus' death and resurrection. He promised to overcome death and bring life. He did it in these stories, but his death and resurrection shows the ultimate expression of Jesus overcoming death and bringing life. He did it with a little girl and raising her from the dead. And he did it with himself, never to die again. And so let me leave us with this. Oftentimes we think we, think we know what our, our most obvious needs are. Like if we could just get that fixed or that fixed. But I think this story shows us, and if we're being honest with ourselves, we know that there's deep things that need healing. <laughs> And deep things that need to be addressed. And it's the, it's the deeper things that Jesus is looking to address. But it's not just Jesus, it's also his people. So his, his people, the church, the people that have believed in Jesus Christ and have come into his family, more than likely aren't going to be performing miracles. There are some places at times where the people of God do engage in performing miracles. But the church, God's Children are also called to the work that he did in loving people. And so the church can come in like Jesus. They could show that they're interested. They can enter into the uncleanness of people's lives. They can express love and belonging and help. They can do the thing that Jesus did when he stopped and paid attention to had need, to the needs that, that were present. And so if you're in a place where you are suffering from some uncleanness that's been in your life and you need healing, Jesus can help. But I think for, you know, and for those of us that have known Christ for any length of time, I think we would all have to say that not only uh, will Jesus help us with what we think we need help with, but we'll also get a lot more, <laughs> a lot more than what we bargained for which we recognize and, and are thankful that we're glad Jesus does those things as well.